Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Philippians chapter 1, this is part 3 of our series, and I want to do just a moment of quick review from what we talked about last week. We, last week, we covered verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1. Today, we're going to cover verses 12 through 27, um, but what we looked at last week was the idea that the Philippian church recognized that the plan of God for their city was too big to be carried alone, and so they partnered with Paul. You remember that partnership and joy are the two main emphasis of this book. They're the two main themes that run through this book consistently, partnership and joy. So we said that big things require big partnerships. Uh, I quoted John Maxwell, who talks about the law of significance, and he says the law of, of significance is this. One is too small a number to achieve greatness, so you have to partner. You have to partner up with big vision, and uh, we encourage you, partner up with what God's doing here at our church. Uh, if you go to this church, if you don't, go partner up with what God's doing at the church that you attend. For those watching online who may be watching from some other part of the world, partner with your pastor, man. Partner with the vision of God, and you'll see some amazing things happen. Uh, then we got on to verse 6, and we talked about this, this idea of he who began a good thing in us would complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We said that there's such a powerful promise here from God for our lives that Jesus will never abandon what he begins in you. He will never deposit something in you only to leave it there and leave it unchanged. He will stick with you all the way through and carry what he put in you to completion. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He doesn't just begin things in our life. He doesn't just dream up ideas and not give us a way to see those things come to pass. He is committed to your success. As a matter of fact, we said this last week, God, your success in the kingdom of God God, in God's mind, is a foregone conclusion. He already sees you as being successful. He already sees you as being whole and being complete. Some people, they struggle with insignificance. They struggle with concerns and anxiety. They struggle with depression. They struggle with all kinds of things they don't have to struggle with if they only understood that God sees the end from the beginning. And when he looks at you, he doesn't just see where you're at. He sees where he's taking you. He sees the completion of of the gift that he put in your life. Can you say amen? God is more committed to your success than you are. Amen. Now, that was review. We want to jump in at verse 12, and I want to read all the way down through verse 27 uh, kind of quickly, and then we'll make some points and take some, take some things out of this passage, all right? And if you're watching online, I want to ask you to do, do us a favor. If this is adding value to your life, and if you're seeing uh, something here that is blessing you, would you go ahead and give us a like, a thumbs up, make a comment, and push the share button so that other people can access the Word of God this morning as well. Amen? So let's begin reading. I'm reading from the New King James. We'll read verse 12 down through verse 27. And it reads, Paul, Paul's writing here, and he says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest 
that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed... But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Amen. Boy, this is the word of the Lord. This is powerful, isn't it? I want to begin in verse 12 and pick some things apart. Um, these first few verses are interesting to me because... Because Paul starts by making some very, very unique comparisons. And uh, I want to just go down through from verse 12 down through verse 14 for just a moment. He says, I want you to know that the things which have happened to me actually turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. Well, we, we, you immediately have to ask the question, what happened to him? What are the things that have happened? What are the things that he is referring to? And we know from the first uh, session that we've had in the book of Philippians, we remember that Paul was in prison. This is the context of this book, is that he's writing from a jail cell. He's writing, actually he's writing from a pretty comfortable jail cell. Paul rented a house uh, that he was an under house arrest with several soldiers uh, that were chained to him 24 hours a day, but he was in uh, captivity nonetheless. And he says, these things have actually happened for the benefit and the, the furtherance and the improvement of the gospel in the city of Rome. He's speaking about his imprisonment, and if anybody understood what it meant to be persecuted, it was the Apostle Paul. I think of no other person in the entire scripture that dealt with more persecution and problems than Paul. Um, and there's some reasons for that. We're going to get into the reasons next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the subject of suffering and what does the Bible say about suffering. And that's going to be really good. You're going to want to 
Stick around for that next week. But uh, he endured more than most when it came to persecution on, in suffering. And so here he is talking about this challenging situation that he's under, that he's in the middle of. And um, he says that this is actually making the gospel more effective. I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, huh? Like, tilt? What? Hmm? What do you mean? You're in jail. How can that be better for your cause? I mean, Paul's, Paul's job, Paul's goal is to travel as a missionary, and he did it on three different distinct trips in his lifetime. Paul, his goal is to travel around the known world and start churches and populate the known world with the gospel of Jesus. And here he finds himself locked in a jail cell, and he's like, things are going great. It's improving. It's like Paul sending out a newsletter, you know, to all of his partners, just letting them know how are, what's the state of affairs at the ministry. Oh, never been better. I'm in a jail cell. Doesn't make sense. Except that the emphasis of what he's saying is on the gospel, not on him. So he's saying, you know, things for me are not great, but things for the gospel have never been better. The fact of the matter is, and he points to this for, for all the way from verses 12 down through verse 14, he points to this idea that regardless of his own condition, the gospel is continuing to actually multiply around Paul. So you, one of the things that's beautiful about the kingdom of God is that it thrives in hostile situations. The worse it gets around you, the gospel just gets brighter and richer and better and stronger. It's like, the, it's like when you're in your garage and you see this big fat spider and you hate spiders and so you're like, oh, I got to kill this spider. And you step on it and as soon as you step on it, you smush it and all these little babies come running out. I had that happen to me one time. I stepped on a spider in my garage and I thought, this thing is hideous and I got to get rid of it. And I stepped on it and it was a pregnant spider and all these little spiders came running out and I thought, oh no. I just unleashed a horde of demons into my house. But see, this is the thing about the gospel. It's so potent. It's so rich. It's so strong that no matter how you push on it, no matter what angle you attack it from, no matter what kind of pressure you try to apply to stamp out the gospel, it just gets stronger and it multiplies the more you come against it. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, I'm reading from the NLT, he says this, and because I preach the good news, I am suffering and I've been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. The fact of the matter is that it is impossible to restrict or restrain the word of the living God. I was having a conversation with a dear friend of mine this week talking about the potency of God's word, talking about the fact that it was God who spoke the universe into its existence, and it was God who at the beginning of time decided he wanted a universe, and he decided he wanted a planet and stars and oceans and trees and people and animals, and so he decided to just start speaking, and could you imagine that in that moment, nothing could stop his words from coming to pass? I mean, when he said, let there be light, the Bible says, let there be light, 
and there was light. Light didn't have a choice. There was no, there was no rebellion that was going to try to rise up and stop God's word from coming to pass. And guys, if it didn't work then, it won't work now. There was nothing then that could stop light from coming into existence. There's nothing today that can stop the word of God in your life from producing the fruit that God intends for it to produce. Thy word, O Lord, the psalmist said, is forever settled in heaven. You have magnified your word even above your great name, the Bible says. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's nothing that can stop the word of the living God. You try to put pressure on it, you try to silence its voice, it gets louder. Matthew Henry said in his commentary on this passage, of Philippians, he said, they could not imprison the word of God that had its free course, even though Paul himself was confined. The negative mind will look at this passage and will focus on Paul's imprisonment. The faith-filled mind will look at this, this passage and focus on the gospel expanding. You see, there are dichotomies all throughout Scripture like this. There are situations where you can look at the text and read it through a negative lens and read it through a negative slant and come away with the wrong emphasis. Paul himself is trying to deflect their attention to the expansion of the gospel, not to the situation that he's in. You and I as Christians, although it may or may not be popular, we have to maintain a positive outlook. In, in a world that's surrounded by negativity, in a, in a situation where we are just completely surrounded by dark and gloominess, I mean, good God, you turn on the TV or you look at YouTube or you look at your Instagram profile and it's just like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, man. Everything's just falling apart and people are so ticked off and everybody's just frustrated. And it's easy to take that lens and then look through that lens at the scripture and come away with the wrong emphasis. Yes, Paul is in prison, but the gospel's expanding. Because he had already come to a place in his life where he said, my life's not my own. So really, I don't care what happens to my life as long as the gospel keeps winning, as long as the kingdom of God keeps advancing, as long as Jesus is still on the throne, I'm happy, I'm good, Amen. My father always reminds me of this every time I get into a jam, every time I get into a frustrating spot in ministry or a challenge in my life personally, he'll just ask me a real simple question. He'll say, son, have they crucified you yet? No, dad. No, they haven't. All right, well, you'll be all right. Amen. I remember just recently I was going to him with some things that we were dealing with, and I was telling him about it and kind of crying the blues, you know, and he said, well, brother, praise God. My dad calls me brother now. You know, we're, we're old enough now, you know, so we're kind of friends these days, you know. We just relate to each other as friends a lot. He's, Come on, bro. He says, listen, they ain't killed you yet, have they? No, no, dad. Have they stoned you yet? No, no, they haven't stoned me. Have they threatened your life? No, they haven't threatened your life. Then praise be to God. Thanks be unto God who always gives me the victory, always causes us to triumph. Amen? They could not imprison the gospel. Now, he goes on to talk about what was happening in his imprisonment. He said, all the brethren have become more confident in my chains. 
And they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Think about this, how God was using a negative situation. God didn't put Paul in prison. God was not the source of Paul's suffering. This is very important. We're going to talk about this next week, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But Paul, God's not the source of Paul's frustration. He's not the source of his suffering. But in the middle of his suffering, Paul was calling on God and God was responding and using that situation, even though it was negative, God was turning it around and causing it to work for the benefit of his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? This is why the Bible says stuff. This is why Paul writes in Romans 8, all things, we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. See, a lot of times we use that scripture to justify the problem instead of use that scripture to justify the solution to the problem. God did not put Paul in prison, but you better believe God was with Paul in prison. Amen. So he's talking about these things that are going on, how people around him are getting more encouraged. Other preachers are getting more bold because they see Paul being bold even though he's chained. What an encouragement. Then he says, verse 16, uh, or excuse me, verse 15, he talks about how there's some people around him that are preaching about Jesus, and some of them are doing it for good reasons, some of it are doing them for wrong reasons. You know, wherever there's an authentic, there's always going to be a counterfeit, right? Wherever, wherever there's an, a, a, you know, an authentic $100 bill, some goober out there is going to make an, a counterfeit one and to try to cheapen the system. And this is exactly what is happening to Paul here. He says in verse 16, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. In other words, there's some people out there that are using the gospel for their own personal gain and for their own personal benefit, hoping that they'll frustrate me while I'm in jail. And Paul says, I ain't worried about it. Why? Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, truth, Christ is preached. Paul's chief desire, his, the only thing he cares about is that people are hearing about Jesus. I mean, you want to talk about a carefree way to live, my friend. All Paul cares about is that people are hearing about Jesus. I, this, listen, I, 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 I wish that more people would understand this. That no matter how people are preaching Christ, even those who are abusing the message, Jesus, his name is still getting press. His, 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 the message is still going out. Even those who are doing it with bad motives, the message is still being preached. Listen, do you think God is weak? Do you think God is so weak that even though somebody else's method might be wrong, God can't use the words that they say? Isn't that amazing? This is, I mean, I, this, I, I wish that, Every soapbox preacher and angry blogger out there, every, you know, uh, you know self-imposed, self-appointed doctrine police out there that just troll the internet, you know, just waiting to say something bad about Joel Osteen. I just wish all those people would read Philippians chapter 1. Paul did not seem to care that even though there were people with ill motives that were doing, that were preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons, he still didn't seem to care. He said, 
as long as Jesus' name is being proclaimed, that's all that matters because it's not in the preacher that the power lies. We find out in chapter 2 that God exalted Christ and gave him the name that was above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. So even if you're preaching Jesus for the wrong reasons, people are still hearing about Jesus and their knees are still bowing because that name has everything in it that is necessary. Amen? It's all about him. The beautiful thing about Philippians is it gets my eyes off me. It gets my eyes off me. I was reading quotes this uh, yesterday. I was telling my wife some of these. I was going through these powerful quotes from like A.W. Tozer and G.K. Chesterton and D.L. Moody and all the guys that in the early 1900s, none of them had first names. It just had two initials, you know, D.L. Moody. And Moody, Moody said this. He said, he said, nobody will ever go, I'm going to botch the quote, but you'll get the, the emphasis. Nobody would ever go to God in prayer and leave empty. He said, the only ones who would ever, that God would ever leave, uh, depart from him were the ones that were full of themselves. He said, nobody's ever going to go to God and, and, and he's not going to deposit something in them unless they're already full of themselves. You see, what I love about the book of Philippians is it just gets me to take my eyes off me for just long enough to see that it's really all about Jesus. It's the name that's above every other name. Yeah, I'm in chains. I'm in prison. Things are rough. You know, stuff is bad happening around me, but I still have a cause and a reason to rejoice. Because the gospel's going forth. And other people around me, they see my chains and they see me rejoice in my chains and they're actually encouraged. What a novel idea. Isn't that awesome? Now, he goes on to amplify the, the emphasis of his life. So beginning in verse 19 and into verse 20, he says that I know that this situation is going to turn out for my deliverance. Paul is saying that regardless of his current situation, there is no shame. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of life, or excuse me, the spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation, look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. In nothing I shall be ashamed. Paul is saying regardless of his current situation, regardless of the fact that he's in prison, there is no shame. I think that some people need to be reminded of that. That whatever position you find yourself in while doing the will of God, you and I are not to be ashamed. Can I tell you that as a pastor and particularly as a church planter in a small town, there is a lot of pressure to be embarrassed by what we do. There's a lot of pressure that in my own life, you know, when I would sit and talk with other pastors and hear about what is God doing in their church, and then they ask me, what is God doing in our church? And I have to say, well, you know, uh, had a family leave the church, or oh, we only had 12 people there on Sunday, or oh, we only had this, or we only had that. There's, a, there's a, a pressure and a tension in our lives to apologize for what God's doing for us. And Paul says, regardless of the situation you find yourself in, if you're doing the will of God, you are not to be ashamed. If you're walking in the will of God, don't despise the day of small things. Don't, don't think small of what God declares is big in your life. 
We're partnered together to see a vision come to pass, and we believe God's doing huge and awesome, amazing things in the lives of individual people. Many of them are here today. Many of them are watching us today on Facebook. God's doing big things in our lives and in our community. We do not need to be ashamed of that. Amen. Whatever position you find yourself in while doing the will of God, you and I are not to be ashamed. Paul's chief concern, in verse 20 especially, is that God would be glorified, God bless you, is that God would be glorified in his life. Whether he lives or he dies, all of his attention is being put on Christ being exalted. Look at the end of verse 20 and then we'll go into verse 21. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wow. This is one of those John 3.16-esque scriptures. This is one of those big concepts in the New Testament. This is one that people quote a lot, but I wonder sometimes how much we understand it. Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In the New Living Translation, this verse reads this way. It says, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Now this is, again, remember what I said about the, your, your lens when you read these kinds of scriptures. This is not a morbid scripture. Not even at all. Not even close. Paul, in fact, is making a very interesting comparison here. He's contrasting death and life. But what makes it interesting is that he's not contrasting something good with something bad. He's contrasting something great with something that's even greater. This is a contrast of positives. Have, have, you ever, have you ever been eating, and maybe you're out to a restaurant, and you're with your wife or your husband, your significant other, you're sitting there eating, and you think your food is good? This happens with Brianne and I all the time. You think your food is good, and then you're like, hey, baby, let me get a, let me get a spoon of what you got. So let me try that. And you take a bite of theirs, and then you go, oh. And you realize what they got was even better. There's a contrast, not between something good and something bad, between something good and something gooder. Paul says, for me to even be alive is to live in the fullness of who Christ has made me to be. And to die would only be a significant improvement. I mean, like, hello. Most people fear death. Most people are concerned about, oh, God, I just want to hold on to every ounce of this life just because if I, if I lose a hold of it, I might die. I might fall apart. My life may, might come apart at the seams. Paul says, for me to even be alive means I'm experiencing the utmost that Christ has in store for me. And to die would only mean that I was just face-to-face -face with him now. So I'm just even closer. My proximity just improved. It's only going to get better from here. Here. Touch your neighbor, tell them it's only going to get better from here. It can't get worse. If you're a believer, it can't get worse. I don't care how bad it is, it, it can never not improve. To live as Christ, to die as gain. 
The word Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. For me to live in the full understanding and the full reality of who God says that I am. For me to live in perfect relationship with the anointed one, Jesus, and his anointing in my life. Is there a greater cause on planet earth? There is not. And when you kiss this earth and the things of this world goodbye and you make heaven your eternal home, it's only going to get better. Now remember, that doesn't mean we live with an escapist mentality. Remember we talked about that last week? How Paul talks about the day of the Lord you know, approaching? We don't live with an escapist, get me out of here soon, Jesus. Take me now, Lord. No, we don't live with that kind of attitude. We say, thank you. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm an overcomer. I'm going to keep moving forward. If God be for me, who can be against me? But they're going to cut your head off, Paul. Big deal. Then I'll just see him face to face. There is a way to live carefree. And this is it. To live in the reality and understanding of Christ, of who he is and who he is in you and who he says you are. Very interesting comparison. Usually when you contrast stuff, you contrast, you know, light and dark, good and bad. Paul's like, awesome, awesomer. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Dying only equals gain when living equals Christ. Dying only equals gain when living equals Christ. You see, dying apart from Christ brings about the fullness of the curse of sin, but to the believer, there is no fear in death. There is no defeat in death. Death is not a defeat, it's a promotion. Now, if we look, continue to look at the following verses, I got about 10 minutes left. If we look at the following verses, we see clearly that Paul has a choice in the matter of whether he lives or dies. This is, this is one of the oddest portions to me in this book. Odd in that it makes you think, and then, but once you get it, then it's not odd anymore. It's actually kind of exciting. But these next few verses, down through about verse 24, 25, we see that Paul actually has a choice in the matter of whether he lives or dies. His confidence in Jesus is so strong that he knows with certainty that he will not see death until he's accomplished everything in the Lord's will for his life. Paul is so convinced that he's protected by God. He's so convinced that he's in the will of God. And even from a jail cell, he says, they can do whatever they want. They can't kill me. I'm not dying. I'm not going anywhere until it's my time. That's pretty intense. Look at what he says here in verse 22. Again, he just said, to live is Christ, to die is gain, verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I can't tell. In other words, I'm trying to figure out whether or not I should just go home and be with Jesus or whether I should stay here with you. Again, he's not suicidal here. He's just thinking about it and going, man, I don't know. I've got a choice. Do I want to keep on with the will of God or do I want to just, you know, check out and go be with Jesus? But he says in the following verses, it's more advantageous for them. So he decides to stay. 
Again, it's an odd section of verses. But when you realize that your faith has something to do with whether or not you live or die, this actually becomes a pretty exciting portion of Scripture. When you realize that by faith you can decide to do the will of God in your life and make sure that nothing can stop you, hell or high water can't stop you from doing what God has called you to do, that's a decision of your faith. And we see that in Paul's writing. Does that make sense to you? He will not see death until he's accomplished everything in the Lord's will for his life. Even though he doesn't fear death, he remains committed to the work of the gospel to the degree that he's deciding to hold off on dying until the job is done. What a commitment. These verses ought to challenge us in our own commitments to Jesus. When I see that Paul's commitment to the gospel literally brings him to the point of deciding whether to live or die. That ought to challenge our commitment to Jesus. Amen. Not so many amens on that. I understand it's a little bit you know, challenging, but that's all right. Now, now check this out. I'm going to jump over to verse 27 here. I've got just a couple minutes left. Paul now shifts them over. He shifts over from talking about himself and talking about the situation that he's in, and he now does a little shift and starts to deal with them and talk about them as a church. And he begins to remind them that their conduct and care for one another ought to be worthy of the gospel. And this is where I want to end today and kind of land the plane for today. He's reminding them that their conduct and their care for one another ought to be worthy of the gospel. Now, there are two very interesting words in the Greek in this passage. One is the word conduct, and the other is the word worthy. Neither of them are what you think they are. When I, when I read this in the Greek, I was like, whoa, that's crazy. The word conduct is the word which means to be a citizen. Weird. Only let your conduct be worthy. Only let your being a citizen be worthy. Isn't, does that shock you? Because that kind of surprised me when I read that. I was like, I didn't see that coming. The word worthy is the word which root means to have weight. Having the weight of another thing of like value. Let me read that definition to you one more time. This word worthy, the root of this word means to have weight, having the weight of another thing of like value, as in balancing scales. You familiar with that? You remember the old, old-timey scales where you put a weight on one end, you put the thing you're weighing on the other, and you balance them out. That's what this word worthy means. And the word conduct means to be a citizen. So what Paul is saying here is this. As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, let your lifestyle carry the necessary weight and the substance of Christ. In other words, if you're going to tell everybody you're a citizen of God's kingdom, make sure your actions and your character match the weight of your words. totally blew me away when I saw that. I was like, wow. 
So, so he's given us this picture of what integrity looks like. Let's read the whole verse. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs and that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul is trying to get them to get on the same page that he's on so that no matter what they do, no matter what they face, they all come come together in one mind, in one faith, striving for the faith of the gospel, not for their own personal benefit, but for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And he says, if you're going to do that, if you're going to run around and tell people you're affiliated with me, if you're going to run around and tell people you're affiliated with Jesus, if you're going to run around and tell people, I'm a Christian, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, make sure that your conduct matches and balances with your words. Make sure that your citizenship and your lifestyle are equal. Because whether or not we want to realize it or not, people are watching. Parents, your children are watching. Your husband, your wife are watching. Your next door neighbors are watching. The people you work with are watching. Don't let it be that we, that we post something on Instagram or Facebook talking about how great Jesus is, and then, you know, two days later, we're posting some foul thing that looks and sounds nothing like the Jesus that we talk about. Let's not be so committed to our own opinion that we engage in strife just to try to win the fight and then come around on the weekend and say, I'm going to church this Sunday. Glory to God. It's going to be great. No, let the weightiness of your life match the citizenship that you've been given in heaven. Sometimes it's best to just shut up. Let me say it again for the people in the back. And the people online, sometimes it's best just to shut up. Did you get that in the balcony? <laughs> no, for real, sometimes it's best to keep your mouth quiet. The Bible says even a fool is thought wise when he keeps his mouth quiet. And see, we, we're so committed to our own opinion sometimes, or we're so committed to to doing things the way we want to do them and not being told how to do things. We're so independent sometimes that our independence actually is, buffers us from the word of God getting access to our heart. Our citizenship is of heaven. Our citizenship, God is our father. We belong to a different kingdom. And our life ought to match the kingdom we're a part of. It's not okay for me to witness to the guy or girl that I work with, to, to, to try to connect with somebody and help them to understand who Jesus is and then turn around and cuss out some other guy in the break room a half hour later. Not okay. Not okay. Can I soapbox for a second? It's not okay to use filthy language. It's not okay to use language that cuts people down. It's not okay to let our words run rampant. 
We have a citizenship that we're a part of. We have a kingdom that we call home. And that kingdom has a, a standard of excellence. And my life should equal the standard of excellence of the king that I submit myself to. I shouldn't, I shouldn't talk about how great Jesus is in my life and then turn around and be lazy. It's a lot of goosebumps and praise God, inspiration. <laughs> no, it's true, man. I shouldn't, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say I love Jesus and then turn around and backbite and gossip and try to get an angle and get some dirt on somebody so I can, so I can run, a, run and call somebody and tell them that you'll never believe what so-and-so did or said or whatever. No, guys, we are better than that because Jesus lives in us, because the Holy Spirit lives in us. I'm called to a life of integrity because my kids are watching. My neighbors are watching. The world is watching. And Paul is saying, guys, that's my time. Shut up. <laughs> Paul is saying that we're part of a higher kingdom. Keep in mind, he's in jail while he's writing this. So if anybody has a reason to get depressed, if anybody's got a reason to get, you know, frustrated and feel justified, it's Paul. But he says he's not going to do that. I'm going to rejoice in my chains. I'm going to rejoice in the situation that I'm in. I'm going to come up to a higher level of appreciation for who God is in my own life. Now, we intentionally did not go to verses 28, 29, and 30, partially because it would have just made this message too long, but partially because Paul starts to deal with and introduce the topic and the concept of suffering. And this is something I didn't want to, well, first of all, I didn't want to end with suffering. That's just not smart as a preacher. You don't end on a low, you know, you get people wanting to come back, you know, all that. But no, we have to get that concept right in our heads. When we look at this issue of suffering, because it's in the Bible, uh, you know, it's talked about all over the New Testament, or lots of places in the New Testament. And there is a biblical suffering, but it may or may not be what you think it is. And if we don't get that right, we will spend our life fighting the wrong battles. If we don't get it right, we will spend our lives beating the air, thinking we're doing some kind of crazy spiritual warfare and thinking that everybody's out to get us and that life is terrible and we'll actually misjudge and miscritique who God is in our life. We'll come away from the word with a wrong interpretation of who our Father is if we don't get the subject of suffering right. I couldn't do that in three minutes at the end of a sermon. So we're going to talk about that next week. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you 
We love you, and your life counts.